Blog Talk Radio. Welcome, everybody, to our latest Outsports podcast. It is late, Mark. Jim, uh, has your bracket been busted? Everyone's dying to know. Well, Jim's on mute, and uh, so we can't hear him. Thankfully, I did not fill out a bracket this year. I just, I kind of forgot, and I just haven't had much of an interest, so... Uh, I know that I was not going to have Villanova doing very well, but I probably would have had Duke doing pretty well, probably in the, in the Elite Eight anyway. Um, but my 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 pick, my big uh, prediction was a, a UCLA Kentucky final. So I that 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 wasn't going to happen. The two of them play, the two of them play uh, on Friday in Tennessee, and wrote about that today about UCLA. Um, I kind of the state of California turn, <laughs> turning a blind uh, turning a blind eye to state law. Uh, uh, so Jim's back and we can hear him this time. How, I heard how, you the how, first how time. It, uh, <laughs> well, we couldn't hear you. So how's your bracket doing, Jim? Are you are you out of it yet? Uh, I got uh, Arizona UCLA in the final, so I have two of those four left. Well, there you go. But you don't have anybody else. You had Villanova. Nah, I mean, I took Villanova like everybody else did, and I took Iowa State as a flyer, so. Yeah, I probably would have had Duke in that region anyway, so it doesn't doesn't matter. Well, the East East is so screwed up that, I mean, there's like nobody, almost nobody picked any of those teams to make the the four left. Almost no one took them. Yeah. So my guess is most people's Uh, brackets are busted. I don't know if you saw the, my my story today about UCLA, um, but that but the state of California passed a law a few months ago saying barring state travel to um, to among other states, Tennessee, for its anti-LGBT laws. But but somehow, Jim, somehow the UCLA men's basketball team's hopping on a plane to go into Tennessee. Yeah, I'll I be honest. I'm not big fan of that law. I think it's way too broad and. I, I would feel as an LGBT person odd telling the UCLA guys what you have to forfeit your game in Tennessee. I just, I don't know, I think there's certain things about these kind of things that could be almost too broadly drawn, and I don't think they're, they paid attention properly when they did it. I think it was more of a PR move than anything substantive. So, I don't know. I mean, I, I oh. honestly wouldn't want, I mean, I think what I would want to know is why the state of California or why the NCAA didn't know that there was this prohibition or alleged prohibition that they would not simply assign UCLA, uh, whoever UC Davis and whoever else from California to a different bracket, but yeah, it's not one that I well, really feel all that aggrieved about, to be honest. Well, to be clear, the the reason I'm going to continue to make hay about this is not because I don't want the UCLA men's basketball team to compete in the Sweet 16. Of course they should. It's because these politicians. They get on their soapboxes, and for political purposes, to rally their LGBT base, they make this law that is totally, uh, totally ridiculous and and shouldn't be made. And if if you're just going to carve out every every, I mean, if you look at the law, there are certain things carved out of the law. It essentially carves out every reason that you would actually go to Tennessee. 
and but uh, but for whatever reason doesn't include uh, championships for sporting sport, uh, for for teams. So the reason the re- Which, the reason I'm making hay is to is to hold politicians' feet to the fire for being idiots. Not just prevent. Uh, nobody's going to stop UCLA from playing that game tomorrow in Tennessee. Well, and the odd thing is that the thing that would get the most attention is if they did stop UCLA from playing right. in the game. It would be a national yeah. story. Every that's all we would be talking about. But because it exempts the things that are the most important, conferences, for example, a lot of things, it it's a law with no teeth, and it's simply symbolic. And so then, why pass a stupid symbolic law when it doesn't mean anything? So it it's ridiculous. Yeah, I agree with you that. I think these kind of draconian sweeping, we're not going to do this. If, you, if you're going to not allow teams to play regular season games, like I don't know what the state of New York would have done if a New York team made it to the uh, yeah. NCAA, you know, because they have a similar law, and they've not allowed these teams to go to North Carolina. So to me, it, it, if you, unless you apply it, entirely, like you said, you wind up doing exemptions for the very things that actually would make a difference, like this tournament, because it would be a huge story if UCLA was told, you have to forfeit your game against Kentucky in the Sweet 16. So my point is, why even bother having this? Everyone can decide on their own. The state can decide we're not going to send Certain, I don't know. There, there are ways you can do that where you have a, a minimum, you know, you have specific things, state officials, whatever. But when you make the sweeping thing about every quote unquote state employee, or you know, then it applies to people like your college basketball coach at UCLA, and everyone well, I, would I, think, I, oh, that's kind of silly. I called my assembly member today, uh, Adrin Nazarian, to ask him about this, and I got a lovely woman on the phone who said, oh, well, um, the UCs are exempted from the law. The law says very specifically that the travel prohibition applies to state agencies, departments, boards, blah, 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 including the University of California and the Board of Regents of the University of California. But, but of course, this woman at this politician's office is trying to tell me, oh, no, the UCs are exempted from this, despite them specifically being mentioned twice as it's specifically applying to them. And then somebody else is saying, oh, well, um, it, it only uh, – because it says state-funded or state-sponsored travel and the NCA pays for this travel, well, then it, uh, it, 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 it doesn't apply, except state-funded employees are using their time and effort to support and travel to – uh, yeah. This event. So to say it's not state sponsored is absolutely ridiculous. So I'm, I'm I'm waiting for my assembly member to explain to me how it does not apply. Again, nobody stop it. No, no one, no one is going to stop. Actually, I wonder if you could. I wonder if you could go to a judge right now and ask for a stay. Like like, could you get him to stop UCLA from playing that game? Well, if he found the USC judge, maybe, but I think <laughs> other than that, probably highly <laughs> unlikely. But yeah. I think it's interesting. Well, I think the North way. Carolina one is, is I mean, that, how many states in the country have some sort of law, either discrimination? It's a lot of them. And well, you North see, Carolina well, is the one that was – it's the, almost the, like it's say, better to – Just to answer your question real quick, the California law specifically calls out – Four states as banning travel. Four states, okay. 
Well, if they're going to be consistent, then they need to be consistent. That's the problem I have with it. If you're going to do it, then you literally have to – you cannot carve out exemptions because then the whole thing becomes meaningless because the exemptions are always done for something important. There's a big you know, AIDS conference, for example. I'm just making this up in one of these states or a big right. health conference or something. Uh, we got to go to that. Okay, you can go. And it's like, okay, then what well, is the point again, of your whole stupid – one of the things that exempted is the protection of public health. So people would say, oh, yeah, well, that's the protection of public health. You have to go. And, and another um, another uh, one is the, to meet contractual obligations incurred before January 1st, 2017. UCLA has a trip. UCLA football is going to University of Memphis in September. And, of course, they will be going to University of Memphis under that exemption. So. Uh, it's just you know I, I, again I, I I'm calling I'm calling attention to it to to, to really point to the absurdity of these politicians yeah. and using no, the LGBT yeah, community as pawns. Yeah, it's it's really it is it, to me it's just stupid. It just it's one of those things that they do it just for PR because it really is meaningless. And yeah. so yeah, just it kind of you know yeah exactly. Let's let's see what would, would happen if somebody, they did. Yeah, it would take somebody suing the state, I guess, to 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 stop it. I mean, otherwise, otherwise they can just ignore it when they want to. Yep, totally. And I mean, really, nobody's paying attention to this in the state. No one really cares about this. Right. No one is, you know. I decided not to go to North Carolina myself for a family thing last summer to boycott the the state. That was a personal decision. I didn't tell my siblings, you can't go there. <laughs> You're prohibited right. from the Bazinski clan to go to North Carolina for a, a family event that had been scheduled before this thing had been. I could have carved out an exemption myself, all commitments made prior to April 2016. But, yeah, it's it, the whole thing is just absurd, and um, it would be kind of fun well, to see what would happen if it – Something else that's been totally absurd has been our uh, watching Nico Hines in the Daily Beast – do do nothing about uh, their total mishandling of gay Olympians last summer, and then totally mishandling uh, the, the aftermath of it. Uh, Jim, Jim, we got we got what I guess I guess is supposed to be an apology from Nico Hines, who uh, who the the Daily Beast has again reinstated him as he was working on the terrorist attack in London yesterday, writing about his byline has returned. Um, Can you even call what he – let's start with this. Can you even call what he wrote an apology? Well, if it had been issued the day after he did this, I would say it could have qualified. But this was something that looked like it went through – a layer of several layers of lawyers for all the right words and all the right phrasing that you're supposed to use in an apology letter without any of the emotion that is seems sincere and genuine. It was like if you went on the internet and, and typed in template for apology, it would probably say right. use this word and that word and that but it just <laughs> devoid in any sense that of anything happened. And then it's freaking seven months after the fact. It's useless. He basically served some sort of suspension, paid or non-paid, we don't know, and he's back writing, and nothing happened to him, basically. And the Daily Beast got, you know, it just, they did, they have not issued some, you know, investigation like they did. They said they were going to do in terms of that, so it was really totally worthless. 
Well, we can assume that he got paid, and and I, I would bet my house that he got paid the entire time because the Daily Beast has been adamant that this is this is our fault, not Nico's. Which uh, yeah, it's partly their fault too. But you, you have to you have to put some level of responsibility on the writer of the piece, the person who unethically went undercover as a gay man and trapped other gay men to revealing their identities, uh, and is an editor at your at your publication. So to just, I, you know he got paid because the Daily Beast has tried to protect him, knowing, knowing that they were going to bring him back at some point, that they were never letting him go for this. And I'm not even sure they should have, but they just, they just mishandled the aftermath so badly. It, it's been just boiling for seven months. And, and just, and, and for that non-apology, I mean, We've seen a lot of non-apologies, Jim. I don't think any have infuriated me the way that one did. No, again, because I said it just—it had there was nothing sincere about it at all. I mean, seven months later, I mean, the idea that he didn't recognize this within 24 hours and was didn't need some company to sort of you know issue a statement. He could have done it on his own behalf on Twitter or however he wanted to do it. He could have done a little video and embedded it in Twitter. And I think people, some people would have said, okay, we get it. You're, you're, you're sincere, but it's bullshit. He didn't give he, – he, he didn't really realize he did anything wrong. And they got, you know, basically got away with it. So he's back writing, and he'll probably talk about, oh, how can you attack me for this one? There are people dying in London. He'll use that as a dodge or something. So um, it, it really well. – I mean, we we talked about some of the ones we've seen, and I remember my favorite, I think, of all time was Chris Culliver of the 49ers, who actually did, after all, do some work with LGBT people. But his initial apology was, the comments I made were a reflection of thoughts in my head, but that's not how I feel. <laughs> it was like, I guess he <laughs> just blurted out what, what he said. That was his first uh, apology. The derogatory comments I made yesterday were a reflection of thoughts in my head, but they are not how I feel. <laughs> what, so that's my all-timer well, in terms of just sort of almost funny ones. And you've had the the first we first did this was uh, Matt Millen, the, then the line general manager, who called the player a faggot after a game, and he issued the "If I have offended anyone," and that was that was the. The start when we started doing a series, we would call the right. non-apology apologies, and he was the first way back in 2003. But he's kind of set the standard for his just really lame apology, which was simply, "I apologize if I offended anyone." That's literally what he said. That was his entire apology. <laughs> and you know what's funny about that? I think that some people, like he, probably thought that was a real apology. Like he very well may have. Like if you say somebody, if you if you if you say that to somebody, oh, I'm so sorry if I offended you, it 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 sounds like it sounds like you're trying to convey some semblance of regret. But if you really think about the words, you're like, well, obviously you offended me because I'm I'm pissed off, and and even if you didn't offend me, what you said was really bad. So, I mean, if you it, it's it's like it sounds on the face of it. As not that bad of an apology, but it's almost like the squirmish way of of getting around um, taking responsibility when you really think about the words. You know, since I wrote that first thing about Millen like 14 years ago now, 
it changed the way I apologized because it really got me thinking that when you say if I offended, clearly the person is offended. And then you're basically making it sound like, well, if you weren't offended, then I'm not sorry. But the bottom line is the words you use were whatever you did was hurtful words or actions. And so a sincere apology is to simply say, I am sorry. And if you have to try to explain it to them for some reason as like your quote-unquote motive, that's one thing. But don't act like, well, only if you are offended I'm going to apologize because you should realize apology be sincere has to come from your heart and it has to be something that you realize yourself was bad, not that how the person took it was bad. And since then I think I've been a lot better when I've had to apologize to people of not using that kind of phraseology because people probably think that it, it, the qualifier is needed, but the qualifier kind of makes it worse. Well, the two, the, the, the two apologies that I, that stick out in my mind were both out of the NBA and followed kind of very similar um, patterns. The, the first was um, Tim Hardaway when he said, I hate gay people. And, and the day he said it, refused to apologize. He just flat out refused. He said, no, I'm not apologizing. Uh, and, and it was only after uh, the NBA essentially fired him, the CBA fired him. He had to change the name of some of the businesses that he had owned in South Florida that, that he finally found his way to some semblance of an apology and, and, and ultimately did the best thing that was – Meeting LGBT people, particularly youth, listening to them, understanding how they were different, they had struggles, and then coming around and going to El Paso and fighting for uh, discrimination protection there. Um, I, being, I think it was the first person to sign a petition uh, for same-sex marriage in Florida or, or some kind of protection in Florida. I can't remember exactly what. And it was, you know, just... He came all the way. It took it took many years, but he came all the way full circle. And there's there's no better way to put an exclamation point on an apology than going out and and doing work and actually helping the LGBT community beyond just your words, which which is what he did. I mean, that was when when he said I hate gay people. Like that, I, I call that the tipping point of of this entire conversation when John Amici came out and was accepted and he and, and, and he said I hate gay people and he was totally rejected. That was like that was a major tipping point for us. Yeah, and he really has he's one of the people that really has learned and, and has has gotten it. The same that I think with, you know, Chris Culliver who worked with LGBT youth groups and seemed to really kind of change the way he thought about it. So their initial sort of, you know, boneheaded lack of apology or non-apology apologies were, you know, sort of overtaken by their actions. Then we have Sepp Blatter, the former head of uh, FIFA, who said, if somebody feels hurt, <laughs> then I regret and present apologies. <laughs> Wait, what did he say? If somebody feels hurt, then I regret and presents apologies. That was his apology for basically saying gay people should refrain from sexual activities yeah. if they're in Qatar during the World <laughs> Cup. Wow. Um, what, is that 2018? No, that's Russia. 2022 is in, in uh, Qatar. Well, Russia won't be any better. Yeah, uh, the exactly. Other one that sticks out to, the other one that sticks out to me was, was Kobe Bryant. when he uh, And it was, it was pretty much the same thing. I think it was on a Tuesday night, maybe, uh, that, that he called a referee uh, a, a gay slur. And the next day, essentially, 
essentially he said, oh, stop being so sensitive. That's not what I meant. <laughs> right? Like, so yeah. blaming the people who were upset that he had used the F word uh, and taking absolutely no responsibility. Essentially, it's your responsibility for how you feel. I had nothing to do with this. Get out of my face. And I remember a couple of days later, he was on um, he was on with Steve Mason, who, who in John Ireland, Steve Mason, they were on ESPN Radio in L.A. And Steve Mason uh, came out publicly about a year ago, but you know we knew that he was gay back back then. And here he is interviewing Kobe Bryant a couple of days later about him using <laughs> gay slur, and Steve is gay, and Kobe that day, just you know, 48 hours later, was a bit more contrite, and 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 he had seemingly in a couple days, come to understand that even though he didn't mean I hate gay people or hey, I hate you because I think you're gay, that's what people heard mm-hmm. in that. And, and and he was very quickly came around to like, yeah, I, I screwed this up. And and I'm pretty sure he said I'm sorry, but whatever it was, that by that by that Friday, he he was explaining himself and talking about it in a way that showed me, okay, this is not just some – Jerk! This is a guy who wants to understand this and is trying to understand this, uh, and 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 at least there's a dialogue going on there. And again, he is he has over time appeared in pro LGBT videos and and tweeted um, uh, his displeasure at homophobes on on Twitter. So so he's another one who's kind of who's come around and 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 done good stuff. Yeah, the easiest two words to say, but they're the hardest. Simply, I'm sorry. Period. That should be that should be the first. That should be your apology. Then if you want to explain it in some way or whatever, who you're talking to, that's another thing. But simply say, I'm sorry, and end it there. Don't if I or if anybody was offended or took offense, um, and then try to learn from what you did. And I think people like Kobe and Hardaway and Chris Culliver have. I think people like Matt Millen never did. I don't think Seth Blatter really did. They don't really care. Um well, I have to but and Nico Hines, I don't bit. think Nico Hines really cares. I think he cared that he got caught and that it was, you know, it kind of blew up. But it still is amazing that it took them seven months, and this is what they came up with. Yeah. Without a, well, and, and, without sorry, sorry, without what they said they were going to do with a transparent of how did this happen? We still don't know who gave him the idea to do this story, who thought it was a good idea, who edited the story. It comes into somebody at the Daily Beast. I doubt he has direct publishing privileges without someone looking at it and reading it. And how was the flag not raised by somebody LGBT in the Daily Beast thing? Because the first headline was, basically, I got three gates on Grinder in the Olympic Village. I mean, it was a Pacific Grinder thing. They then tried to tone down... Uh, for their second and third versions of the story, but you know, we still don't know how this story kind of wound up getting in uh, online. Yeah. Um, just, just one quick thing. You, you said that you know, just you know, say I'm sorry and leave it at that. Um, I, I think I know what what you're really saying, but but um, I just take issue with just what with what specifically you said because Nico said I'm sorry, I'm deeply sorry, and I'm truly sorry. And and for me, it, it's 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 empty and meaningless without without some explanation and without some empathy, some some demonstration of understanding of how you emotionally affected people. Without that, I, I struggle with. No, with I agree. I agree with you. I, my my point is, I think the first thing you say is, "I'm sorry." Period. Then you 
go into the don't try to don't try to qualify yeah. the I'm sorry part. Say I'm sorry and then go on. But yeah, so I said about Nikos, it was there was no emotion, there was no empathy behind it, and it took seven months. So yeah. no, I, I don't ever simply to say to somebody I'm sorry. <laughs> Let's go get a burger. It's like I'm sorry, and then you. <laughs> Then you're trying to find out more. But, yeah, I think I think people make the mistake of saying, I'm sorry, comma, but you pissed me off. Or, but, you know, then the but all of a negates the I'm sorry part. So that's, what I, that's all I was saying. But you're totally right. There has to be more to it than simply a couple of words. In his case, seven months? Yeah. And how many yeah. lawyers <laughs> went through, how many lawyers went through this? This was not just one. <laughs> this wasn't his written. But it was you know probably went through an editor. Well, let's change this. Let's add the word truly. <laughs> that makes a difference. I'm truly sorry. Well, because because he did I he did identify um, not by name, but he did identify uh, gay Olympians from countries where uh, homosexuality is not accepted or legal. I mean, he really opened up the Daily Beast in himself to. To legal repercussions if something yep. happens. So, I'm, you know, it went through about 18 lawyers. Uh, well, before before we're done, I just wanted to hit on one last thing this week. David Denson announced his retirement from baseball. He was in minor league baseball in the Milwaukee Brewers system. And with David Denson's retirement, Jim, for the first time in four years, that leaves us with no publicly out gay athletes in the big four, Major League Baseball, hockey, basketball, and football. Uh, we've had Jason Collins, Michael Sam, and David Denson. Again, da- Michael Sam never made a team, but he was still you know, trying for a team. David Denson mm-hmm. wasn't in made the majors, but he was in the minors in the Major League system. And um, Robbie Rogers is in Major League Soccer still, but he hasn't, he hasn't, he hasn't played uh, all season. So where does this leave us? I mean, have, have we taken steps back, or are 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 the pro athletes just just increasingly just in kind of in the rearview mirror of everything that's going on in high school and college? Yeah, I think we've said that. I think that all the action at the high school and the college. I think having Mike King Johnson start his career openly gay at the University of Arizona, Arizona is going to be interesting. But I think. The pros, in some ways, everything everything is a step back. There's just I think there's been a feeling that quote unquote it has been dealt with. All the leagues think they have done their necessary stuff on it, and for whatever reason, people still we've we've talked about this a million times don't feel it's in their interest to come out publicly. So, yeah, we continue to have stories of high school and college athletes, and we will, but the action does not seem to be in the pros. Um, which is sad, and yeah, you're right. This is wow, the first time in four years. So we have taken a step backward. So the, you have uh, the NHL, you know, seems to be doing a lot to welcome gay athletes for their uh, all the pride events they had last last summer. The embracing of the You Can Play project, all the videos, different ambassadors. The NBA is doing stuff. Major League Baseball is doing stuff. Billy Beans all over the place talking about this issue, going to different teams. The NFL is doing, I guess, something. <laughs> not not a heck of a lot, but if 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 there, if no one is comfortable coming out, can you say that these what, these efforts by the leagues are appropriate or effective? If 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 there's zero publicly out players or coaches. No, I mean there. It's good that they've had some of them, but it's. You know, obviously the atmosphere is such, and we we only have a couple minutes. We won't go to. We talk about it so much, but 
there seems to be a chill, at least in the sense of what the what the upside is for someone to come out while active right now. And we don't see that as much in high school and college, and we're seeing people like the kid from Arizona who's coming out, he's been out his entire high school career. So I do see hope, but, yeah, it is, it is just frustrating. But if I can throw some good news in, I mean, just to thank our readers, uh, there was wrote a story on an 18-year-old rodeo cowboy from Australia who lives in rural Australia and was given death threats if he were to compete in straight rodeos there, including one guy who said he'd like to, you know, wish it was 1850 so he can kill fags again. I mean, um, and rural Australia has had some awful, awful anti-gay stuff, including deaths. And this kid basically said, I'm, I'm going to stand up to the haters and he is coming to Texas for his first gay rodeo next week. And a guy started a GoFundMe campaign that had 3,400 raised to get him to Texas. We posted a story on Outsports, and he's now at 6,400. So in one day, he's raised 3,000 bucks thanks to thanks to people who read Outsports because we were the first uh, U.S. Um, website to write about it, and now it's gotten attention. So the kid's going to have a good trip uh, to Texas. So that there's some positive things and. <laughs> to be openly gay in rural Australia and say "f you" is is someone you want to applaud. And and so, how much has he raised so far total? Sixty four hundred, but he's raised three thousand since yesterday. Wow, that's great. Well, so I guess so he's have a good to trip. <laughs> Did you tell him? Oh, you picked the wrong state to go visit. <laughs> well, that's uh, where the rodeo guys are. <laughs> maybe, maybe he could take a side trip to uh, to San Francisco or LA. Austin's not that bad, but anyhow. That's all the time we have today. Uh, we definitely want to hear back from that rodeo guy, um, see how, how Texas went. Either way, we'll talk to you next week.